Um, Paul talks about the gifts with the Corinthian church, but Peter and Paul talk about them in other places. They're this whole ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit combined. There's a lot to unpack about this this week, uh, and so let's get into it. Um, now, you have probably found on your page, to, uh, your seat today, a sheet that looks like last week's uh, sheet, and if I were a, a school teacher, I would have realized that I could print this on a different color so that you wouldn't be confused about which one you have, um, but I'm not a school teacher. Please forgive me. Uh, so it says, developing your gifts right here at the top, and Ephesians uh, 4, 11 through 12, and 1 Peter 10. It's got the same chart that it had last week because uh, we're kind of thinking through this concept in this way. And then all of the things that you're going to fill in are on the back, right? So this is your brief reminder of what we discussed and the big idea this week. And then on the back is the new information that you're going to be taking notes on. Um, I hope you're a note taker. I know that before, when, before I did this job, when I was doing your job of learning, the only reason I retained information during the sermon was because I wrote it down. Now that's my primary style of learning is listening and writing. Not just listening, but listening and writing. And when I do that, somehow it locks into my brain. And when I don't do that, man, oh man, I'm just like the standard kid who goes to Sunday school. Parents are like, what did you learn today? I don't know. You know, like it's in there, but I just can't access it. So however you best access, I hope that you do that today. Um, by way of quick review before we get into the message today, last week we talked about, there we go, it took a moment to catch up, uh, this framework from 1 Corinthians 12, 5 through 7, that there are different gifts, and that was the, the concept of charismata, and, and charis is like God's hand being on you, and another way it's actually God's joy being on you, joy and hand and grace all come from the same word family, right? And they, they speak of God's direct intervention in your life. We talked about those as motivational gifts, and we unpacked that from Romans 12. Uh, there's different service, which is the di uh, diakonia. Boy, I took like eight classes for this, and you don't use it, you lose it. And di diakonia, and that means ministry or service. The term deacon comes from this. That's what we're talking about today from Ephesians 4. Uh, and then there are different results, which is energema, which is uh, like energies, and each has received a different manifestation, which is a, a phonorosis, right, or a phenomenon that happens, okay? And so this is the, the biblical framework that we're talking about uh, for how these gifts are structured. We acknowledged last week there's different concepts of this, right? And I learned this as sort of a linear, really long list when I was uh, in college as a believer, and it was just every time there was a gift listed, it went into the category of gifts, and they, they were all just there, right? And that's a, a valid way of looking at these things. Uh, it's just a different structure, and I have found this very helpful personally as a, a pastor and just a child of God who has gifts. Um, and I'm hoping that you're finding it that way. Even if you don't agree with this, Paradigm. I hope that you find this refreshing and encouraging to think through the gifts uh, in your life and others' lives. Um, and the way this works is this. Your motivational gift, which is that Romans piece that we talked about last week, engaged via your ministry gifts, which we're talking about this week, and skills that you develop, right? Because these gifts are things that are given for the equipping of the church, and we can train each other, even though you might not be gifted to do it automatically, in a big way. We can all do the things on these lists in little ways through the skills that we can gain from others. Uh, bring about, that your motivational gift brings about fruitfulness, so fruit in your life as you abide in Christ and use these things, and the manifestations that we're talking about there. So just for instance, uh, Flint gave a great sermon before Thanksgiving, at least I thought it was a great sermon, thank you Flint, and uh, so Flint's using his teaching passion and his teaching gift to teach us from the Psalms, right? And then I got to sit in the back 
about where Karen is back there. Hi, Karen. And take notes. And then this thing happened while Flint was teaching. I had a personal manifestation with some words of knowledge about the word while Flint was teaching. And so I'm taking notes on Flint's teaching, and then I'm writing down sermons that are coming later on the side, right? And they're just like, it's like zapping into my brain. And, and these cross-references are happening in Scripture, and these concepts are getting connected. And God is doing some architecture in my personal knowledge framework uh, about how he operates and who he is. So that's Flint's passion, his motivational gift, being applied through his ministry gift that's resulting in a manifestation, and we don't necessarily think of it that way. And I I know that it's a, a different way of looking at it, but that's how the Holy Spirit works, right? Like, we are moved by God's desires in us when we say yes with those things, and then we use the skills that God has, and then we see God work in people's lives through that. That's just what we're talking about. We're just putting biblical language on top of it, right? So it's God changing you to desire the things that he desires and look at the world through his eyes, giving you skills to enact that, and then him doing the work in other people's lives through that. That's what we all want, right? It's just this structure of matching these things up with the the biblical sense of the text here um, from from what I can best ascertain. Uh, The other thing that I want to review with you really quickly is that God gives good gifts for good reasons. Uh, The first is direction and purpose in your life. So when you see that God has given you this gift, it's not like whipped cream on the pie. It's not even dessert. It's part of the main course, right? It's probably maybe the gravy. Any gravy fans? Yeah, I'm a big fan of gravy, and it kind of goes on everything on the plate, right? Except for dessert, probably. But there's even dessert gravy. Praise the Lord, right? And so it's, it's all over everything in the Christian life. But many of us pass up the gravy. Like, no thanks. The doctor says I should cut back. He doesn't say that right now, right? Like He wants you to have more gravy. He wants his gifts over everything that you do. He wants it to be a primary thing in your spiritual life, but too often it becomes a secondary thing. He even wants it to be a primary thing in your everyday life. Every day. He gave you this for every day of your life. He has work for you to do every day of your life, and so it's a part of his direction and purpose for your being, for your existence. I think a lot of believers get demotivated and discouraged because they don't understand their gift. And if they do, they don't see how it plays out in their everyday life. And so you spend a lot of time on the bench of Christianity. Have you ever been a bench warmer on a team before? That's terrible, isn't it? You see everybody else out there doing awesome things and you're just waiting for your turn. Stop waiting. God has a turn for you today. I mean, seriously, do you, do you know that? The, the work that he wants to do in you and through you, he doesn't call anybody to the bench. Sometimes he calls you to the doctor's office for healing, right? But he wants to get you back out on the be- off the bench, on the field, as quickly as possible. Next, God gives you good gifts for freedom. He wants you to walk freely in these gifts, not encumbered, not burdened, not beaten up, not fenced in by other people's desires, but free to operate as he made you to be. Isn't it so great to be in a place where who you are works, you're accepted and loved, and you can be uh, blossoming and flourishing in that. I know men, you probably don't think of yourselves as blossoming. Uh, well-oiled and, and uh, idling well, you know, whatever you're looking for, right? But God wants you to be free to be you with the gift that he gave you. And so this gift isn't meant to, to pull you around like a leash. It's meant to compel you forward like the sap of a tree budding into fruitfulness and life, okay? And then the next thing is 
joy. Man, it is so exciting when your gift plays out, when you're faithful and you see the result of it, right? I hope that you know that special joy of walking with the Lord, walking in your gift, using the ministry skills and gifts that he's given you, and just going, wow, God, look at what you just did. It's so exciting. And then affirmation, affirmation of who you are in Christ, right? And then beyond that, that you're on the winning team, right? I mean, I don't know, have you ever felt beat up in your faith in these last few years? Like, what am I in this for? And the world is going to a certain place in a specific type of basket very quickly, and, and I don't know what's happening here. And, and then when you're actually in the game and working, you know what you realize? Man, God is on the move. I mean, God is in the midst of this, right? When you're, when you're on a team and your score is lower than the opposing sides, you don't think, it's too bad we're going to lose. You think, we got to work harder. Come on, guys. We can pull this together. But what's amazing is that we tend to get blinded about the real score. We tend to not see things as they're really going to work out. It feels like it's the bottom of the ninth and there's two outs and there's nobody on and we're down by 74 runs and there's no way that we're ever going to win. Man, that's not, that's not true at all, right? That's just discouragement. And so when you're walking in your gifting, when, let me rephrase that, when you're living in a way that you use your gifting regularly, that's what I mean by that. That's, that's Christianese, walking in your gifting. When you see a gift as a primary part of your life, when you're using it in your everyday life, when you're seeing God use it in other people's lives, it's massively affirming, and you realize God has this under control. It's his victory, it's his work, and I get to enjoy that in my life. That's a pretty awesome thing, right? So it's not, it's not affirming saying you're special. It's affirming to say that Jesus has this under control, and the Victory is his, right? You know, we, we just sang that song, uh, what a wonderful name it is, the name of, and then we all said one name. What was that name? Yeah, we didn't just proclaim our own name in that. And when we use our gifting, that's what we're doing. We're proclaiming the name of Jesus with our lives. And then finally, uh, there's a bad word at the end here. I pray that you'd forgive me uh, for using it towards you. Accountability, right? There, I said it. I said it. You can send an email to the elders, uh, but it's there. Now, we tend to think of accountability as a bad thing, but the, the truth is, is that if nobody held you accountable, your life would be a mess. Think about what you knew about life when you first came into this world. Did you know much? Not much at all. Uh, there's some basic things in your life that you do because somebody held you accountable. Um, I don't know if you know this, but most children, they don't want to be potty trained, right? It's very convenient to go where you are. It's very loving when someone takes care of every need for you. And the idea of having to wait and do certain things at certain times is very uncomfortable for most kids. Has anybody experienced this with their own kids? Remember that? Do you know what you're doing that whole time? Holding them accountable to your goals. And you know what? If they haven't thanked you, I will thank you. Thank you on their behalf. Thank you, because their life is better and so is mine because of the work that you did, right? So accountability causes us to grow, right? Causes us to move forward into better places and better things in our lives. And God desires that for us, but God is also very clear. Hey, 
I gave you these things to be fruitful and productive. Remember the parable of the talents that Jesus gives, right? I think that corresponds pretty closely to gifts, the gifts that we have here, right? And I know that parables have many meanings, but I I think that we can understand that God has entrusted divine power and resources to you, divine opportunities to you, and he wants you to use those to the best of your ability faithfully. And he says, guess what? When you do it well, I have rewards for you. I want to reward you. I want you to enter into my courts and I want to be able to declare, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Like many of us are looking forward to that, but then we have to ask ourselves, are we being good and faithful servants? And so that's a part of this too, but it's a good thing. So maybe we can take back my apology and recognize that accountability isn't a bad word, but a loving word. And maybe some people use it in a bad way occasionally. Let's not use it in a bad way, right? Let's use it in a good way. And so now today, we're going to talk about developing your gift. Do you know that you are under construction? Are you aware that you are a holy work in progress? Now, some of you are like, that is good news because I thought I was a holy mess, right? Like, I I thought that I'm not sure if anything good can come from my life. If anything good does come from my life, it's surely by accident, I assure you, right? But God says, no, you are under construction. I have been working in your life. I have good plans for you. God says this in Ephesians 2, right? He says, for you are my workmanship, right? And I created you to do good works, Before the foundation of the world, I planned those good works. So God is working in your life, and part of that work is to develop your gift. And one of the things that amazes me is that somehow God entrusts each of us to partner with him in that work. I know that sounds kind of strange. Do you remember when your parents recruited you to do awesome projects or work? Anybody have that happen before? When you were a kid that your, your mom or dad was like, hey, come and do this thing with me. And then you're doing it and you're like, I can't do this. And then they're teaching you the skills. And then before you know it, you're like cutting wood and hammering things or planting flowers or taking care of the pet or painting the wall or whatever it is. And you're like, I didn't know I could do this before. Well, you have to say yes to that, right? Because if you're freaking out the whole time, you're not learning. And God wants you to develop the gifts that he has given you. Paul says it to Peter, in, or not Peter, Timothy in this way. He says, fan into flame the gift that you received when we laid hands on you, right? In other words, God placed this awesome deposit in you, but what do you have to do? You have to bring that up. You need to bring it to fruition and fullness in your life. And that requires your faithfulness, okay? And so God has given you this gift and he wants you to use it and develop it. And so here's the big thing that you should remember. God gives good gifts to get in service. So God gives you good gifts to get those gifts and to get you in service, to be operating, to be fruitful, to be pressing forward into these things, and it's so good for you when you do that. First Peter, Peter says this through the power of the Holy Spirit to us. He says, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Wow. So Peter is uh, kind of blunt in his letters. He, he thinks he's simple and plain. The Greek scholars laugh because his Greek is very complicated sometimes and challenging to translate. Uh, but, but Peter says this. He says, hey, 
you have given a gift, you've received a gift from God, each one of you, and use that gift to serve others. It's not about you, it's about the people that you're serving lovingly through that gift. And as somebody who's received that gift, steward it well. Steward the varied grace of God well. That's pretty cool. Peter covers a lot in there. That varied grace of God also means that your gifts are not all the same. And what's really amazing about that is that the way that your gift works in your life might be similar to, but it's probably going to be different than the same gift in somebody else's life because God's grace is varied. It's textured. It's cut differently in each of us. And then in Ephesians 4, uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul says it this way. He says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Now really quickly, I want to unpack that just a little bit. The first phrase there, and he himself gave. Okay, This is a primary foundation for your concept of a spiritual gift. Okay, uh, God made each of you special and unique. We know that, right? And Psalm 139 says that God created you in your mother's womb. It uses language of a master craftsman weaver. It says God knit you together in your mother's womb. He put you together bit by bit. He chose you as you are, which is awesome. And that makes you special and unique. It actually makes, in one way, your whole life holy. That every human life is holy, created in the image of God. So that makes you special, but it also makes God superior. Right? He's the one who creates. And in the same way, Jesus is superior to us. He's superior to the gifts. He is the foundation, the giver of the gifts, the one who the gifts are built on, and ultimately the one who the gifts are all about at the end because we're going to glorify him with our gifts, not ourselves. And we need to recognize that in our culture, we are taught, trained, and called to make ourselves special and unique and to stand out. Now, God has already done that, but he asks you to sing a harmony to his melody then. He asks you to be the accent, not the main thing. He gives the gift, and then you get to join him in receiving that and using that. And it's not about us in these gifts. It's ultimately about him. And when we recognize that and realize that, it changes the way that we use our gifts. And we feel special initially because, wow, look what I'm doing. But then when we step back and the more we look towards him, we realize, wow, look at what he is doing in all of us and look what I can expect because now the pressure's off and I just have to show up and be faithful and obedient to him and operating in what he's called me to operate in. And so it's really all about him still in the midst of this. So Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now this concept of equipping is a really big deal. I tend to think of it, or historically have thought of it, as an ongoing process that we're all involved in to become more and more equipped over time to do the good work. But the Holy Spirit used the past tense. He used the past tense. In other words, it's something that he already did. And when we talk about equipping, we're talking about made fully ready. How many of you feel fully ready for the ministry that God has called you to? I mean, genuinely, if you were to take stock of yourself right now, would you be like, coach, put me in. I am ready right now. 
Now, there's a piece of that that is healthy humility, right? Where we don't want to make much of ourselves, but there's also a piece of that that is prideful doubt and self-focus because God has made you ready. God has made you able. And the fact that we all look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I'm not good enough, tells us that we don't rely on God's grace fully enough. Okay? Let's say that again. The fact that you think you're not good enough to serve tells me and you that you're not relying on God's grace fully enough. There's all sorts of stories in the Old Testament and New Testament about God using the least to do the greatest work. Now think about this. David showed up to the battle line with what before he defeated Goliath? Anybody remember? No, he didn't have five stones. Bread and cheese. Dude showed up to a war with a sandwich. Okay? Yeah. What was he wearing? Stuff, right? Like he, didn't, he wasn't geared up, no camo. He wasn't ready for battle. What was he equipped in, though? Mind and a heart recognizing what God can do. He was the only one who saw that he was equipped, not because he was ready, but because his God was able. And that's what the spiritual gifts are about. It's not about you thinking you're ready. It's about recognizing that your God is able. Now, did David then just show up with cheese and bread and like stuff them in Goliath's mouth until he choked? No. He looked for God's divine enablement. He went to the stream and he got five smooth stones, which by the way, wasn't because he thought he was a bad shot. It's because he was wondering who's next, right? He was loaded for more. So he responded to God's enablement by following through faithfully to develop and implement God's plan. And he did it in God's way. So that's what we want to do as gifts. It's not that we pridefully say, I am ready, coach, put me in. I don't have to change anything. And so we have to say, you have enabled me and you will lead me and I will follow and do things that you say to do. And so there's an inherent humility involved in the midst of this. But this equipping means that you're ready. You're ready because God made you ready. It's a military term. You have all the gear you need. You have more strength than you know. You have opportunities that are coming. And God wants you to engage in those. And that's really good news, at, at least for me. Okay, so we're going to talk about 10 ministry gifts that show up in Ephesians 4 at the end of 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28. And we're going to unpack these. Your Bible may translate them differently. I've already talked with some people and they're like, what about this? What about that? It's challenging to fit these all into every list, and every list varies, okay? But there's apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors, and then teachers or teaching is a gift, and serving and working of miracles and healing and leading, and then there's various tongues. And we're going to talk about very briefly what each of these gifts is and does. And so when you're listening, I'd like you to think about what is this gift? Maybe write down a couple of key words. How does it look in service? So what's this gift operating like? And then, what gifts or gifts have I been given? And what have I gained in learning? See, it's not just about the gift you've received from God. It's also about watching and learning other people to be able to serve well. Because you might think you're a short shop, shortstop, but God knows that you're a power forward on a basketball team. Okay? And so you might need to be developed into something else. Or maybe you're just going to stand in you know, as a wide receiver one day. And you're like, this isn't my ministry team. And God's like, I've got you. 
I've got you. And so he's going to use you in ways that you are not necessarily anticipating. So let's run through these. And these definitions are just here so that we understand. They're not even the main part of the sermon. So we are going to blaze through these, right? This is like the the technical thing. And uh, if that's not your style, I'm sorry, but it's where we're at. So the the first is the gift of being uh, of apostleship or being an apostle. Uh, This is the ability to start churches or ministries and oversee their development. Now there's controversy over this gift because we recognize that the first apostles are different than the gift of apostleship today. Uh, Those apostles met with Jesus in a personal way. They were divinely enabled to start the church, and they did things that we haven't seen since then, at least that I'm aware of, and it's pretty wild. You know, Uh, I've, I've never heard of someone's shadow falling on someone and they're being healed. I've never heard of a ministry where handkerchiefs are distributed and and people touch it and they're just all of a sudden better, right? Uh, So there was this special thing that happened when the church started. It was this explosive grace and this explosive development. Now the same power is available now, but it, it just seems to work differently. Those apostles were divinely enabled in ways that were specific to them. And the same thing is true for us now. We just see that God tends to work differently in different contexts. Now this is not to diminish the gift of apostleship because some of you were created and designed to start churches or start ministries or start programs in churches or parachurch organizations, which means sort of work that comes alongside to strengthen the church and then oversee their development. Now, this is what we see all of the apostles do in a major way. They just have these other special things that seem to happen as the early church starts. And I don't want to diminish the Spirit's power now. I'm just saying when you read the book of Acts, you're like, wow, that was something, right? Now, there's lots of times where we could see, wow, that was something, uh, and yet there was a specialness that was there at that time, okay? So this apostleship does not equate to the same thing. If you have the gift of apostleship, you don't get to rewrite God's word. You know, the Holy Spirit isn't going to use you to pen a new letter or new truth or anything like that that he did through the apostles. It's just slightly different. Uh, the next is the, the gift of being a prophet or the gift of prophecy. And this is an ability to powerfully and clearly proclaim God's truth, leading to correction, repentance, or edification. Now, this powerful and clear teaching is usually timely, and it's done in a way that is culturally sensitive. Okay, it's done in a way that is culturally sensitive, and it makes a difference in that culture then at that point in time. And what's really important for us to recognize about all of these gifts is this is something that God enables, God empowers. They're all equally divine given to each of us, but then also there's a skill in this, okay? So you can be trained in the gift of apostleship, and you can be trained in the gift of prophecy. You can go to someone who's good at this and say, how do you do what you do? How does this operate in your life? And you can learn from them and you can develop those skills and you can even pray and God can lead you to the opportunities and give you uh, chances to use these gifts and and they're good in that. Uh, Next is the gift of being an evangelist or evangelism and it's the ability to effectively lead unbelievers to put their faith in Jesus for everlasting life. These are people who share Christ with unbelievers or they're going to be new believers, right? Anybody know an evangelist personally or somebody who has the gift of evangelism? It's really wild because they have this massive love and passion for the unsaved, for, for those who don't know Jesus yet, right? They're, they're looking for lost sheep just like Jesus did. They're looking for those who are spiritually sick, just like Jesus did. And they're passionate about pursuing and approaching these people. And, and you just wonder, how do, you, how do you, that guy, that guy hates Jesus and he's unkind to you and you're still loving him like Jesus loved and I don't want anything to do with him. He has a bad reputation even among unbelievers, but, but you're willing to show up and share Jesus with that guy. Why? And, and, and then it works, right? 
Because God has given this person a special gift of evangelism. This happens individually, and then some evangelists are really good at group engagement, right? So there's the Billy Grahams in the world who are able to put on, we we would call it a crusade, right? A large event and share the gospel. And hundreds of people are just compelled to, to go down to put their faith in Christ or to believe right there and then. And then if you're hanging out with these people, one of the things you're gonna notice is that you start loving people who don't know Jesus yet more. And you start to have a passion for them and for their spiritual process of knowing Jesus. And you can even learn what it looks like to effectively evangelize from them, which is good news because just because you don't have this gift doesn't get you off the hook of the need to share Christ, right? Like all of us who believe in Christ need to be able to share our faith in Christ with others, what we believe and why we believe, right? And so you need to be trained in some patterns of being able to do that. So when the time comes up and it's gonna come up, you're able to do it with love and with ease and with tact so that it's natural for you to talk about Jesus just as much as if they were to say, hey, what brand of toothbrush toothpaste do you use? Your teeth are so white. Well, I like blah, 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 right? Like, you know, I, I've noticed that you, you have peace all the time. What's the deal with that? Well, let me tell you about a man who has made all the difference in my life. His name is Jesus. And the reason I have peace is because I know that he has got me every day of my life. He proved it by dying on the cross for my sins, by being raised from the dead. And after I put my faith in him for everlasting life, everything changed. I'd like to tell you more about it if you have a few minutes, right? Just that ability to naturally share and engage when those questions come up. So you need to know how to do that, and you probably need to talk to somebody who knows how to do that so you can do it well or read a book by one of these people. Next, there's the gift of pastor, and then I put in parentheses here, plus teacher. So in this list in Ephesians, uh, every, every other gift has a direct article before it. The apostles the evangelists, the prophets. And then it says the pastor teachers, the pastor's teachers. And there's no second article. Now, Greek is a funny language. You don't have to have an article for everything. In fact, if you're making a list, you can just put the at the front and then somebody knows that the the applies to everything in the list. So if you were to say, grab the keys, melon, drink, fire extinguisher, you would know, the person who got the list would know that it was the specific keys, the specific melon, the specific drink, and the specific fire extinguisher, right? They wouldn't just show up with random keys, random melons, random drinks, and random fire extinguishers. There's specificity to that. And so scholars are kind of left scratching their heads. Is this a united gift or is this separate gifts? One of the challenges is, is that in Corinthians, teaching shows up as its own gift without the concept of pastoring. But either way, the gift really means the same thing, and teaching is often involved in pastoring. But it's the ability to spiritually lead, nourish, protect, and care for a group of believers. These people are often small group leaders, Sunday school teachers, care group leaders. Sometimes they're pastors. Uh, I've heard some pastors say that this is the most underrecognized and underutilized gift in the church of Christ today. And it's because most of the time we think that there's one person in the room who must have the gift of pastor teacher and everybody point to him. Just kidding. <laughs> right, because it's my job title, you, you think that I must be the guy, right? 
The truth is, is that in, in North America, at least, we tend to value lead pastors who have the gift of leading, maybe the gift of apostleship or prophecy in starting ministries or declaring right from wrong, depending upon the values of the church. And so we tend to actually see a lot of pastors in churches right now who don't necessarily have the gift of pastor-teacher. That's not wrong because we've made pastor a job title without connection to the spiritual gift. It's okay. It's just the language that we use, and we don't have to change that. But the reality is we need two different buckets to carry these concepts. One is a job that someone does. One is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And there are people in this room, and you probably know who you are if you're one of these as I'm talking about this, that you care for people like a shepherd cares for his or her sheep. You are the type of people that when someone's not at church, you go, I didn't see Franny at church today. I wonder how she is. And so you call her because you care and you're seeking after her individually. You're the people who are like, oh, we're, we're here, there's a group of us. Hey, let's, let's all pray for a minute at our table here for just a minute. You, you hear about a thing and you wonder instantly how this is affecting that person's spiritual life. You, you care for the soul in a deep and specific way. You develop people, you pour your life into other people so that they may be stronger spiritually, so that they may uh, walk or live with Christ more closely. You, you pastor them and you shepherd them and you teach them about Jesus. That verse from Matthew 12, where Jesus says, Come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest for your souls. Uh, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Man, that really resonates with you. You're like, yes, Jesus, and can I do that too? Uh, next, teaching. It's the ability to understand and give a detailed explanation of the truth of Scripture, okay? So these are the people who can like, outline the passage clearly, put it all together. They've got the word studies. Uh, if you're a teacher, you probably like studying the Bible a lot. You might find yourself uh, listening to or watching YouTube videos. You're the person who has commentaries at home. Somebody has a question and you can point them to the website where you got the answer. You take them there and you explain it to them. And about 37 minutes in, you realize they've turned into a Krispy Kreme. So you get some coffee that goes better with Krispy Kremes. They wake up and they learn some more. Uh, you are a sponge of information that you have absorbed. And you are just waiting, waiting for somebody to give you a little squeeze so you can drip that into your, their life, right? With the living water that you have received. Uh, next, serving. It's the ability to enhance the effectiveness of the ministry of others in the body of Christ. I mean, when I first uh, got this into the, the computer and was thinking about this, I said, boy, that sounds so low. I hope that people who feel this don't feel insignificant because the truth is, is can you imagine ministries that didn't have people who served in them, who were there to make the ministry better? That's pretty plain, right? I mean, if you were given a choice between going to a five-star restaurant in downtown Portland and the Golden Corral, which would you choose for free, right? Like somebody else is buying. I'd choose the five-star restaurant, right? For multiple reasons. Well, why is the five-star restaurant better? Because people took the time to make it better, to improve it over time so that it is the best that it can be. The church without servants ends up being like the Golden Corral. You can sure get full. You're not sure if you wanted to. Right? And so you who serve are awesome. Because if you were not here, 
we would be so lacking and so empty. I mean, you, you fill up, you strengthen, you move things forward, you show up in the nick of time. The world is better because God has gifted you to be a servant. And it's such an important role. Miracles, okay? Uh, this one's a little bit controversial, but it's on the list. This is the ability to serve as an instrument of God in manifesting His supernatural power. Now, we have a rational culture. You might argue against that because we sure seem to have an emotional culture right now. But what I mean by that is that we really value thinking. We really value evidence and facts. We claim to like the scientific approach to life, right? Like where we make a hypothesis and we can see if the things that we see in the experiment that we're running, whatever that experiment is, whether it's this gas gets better fuel economy than that gas or this yeast makes my bread rise better, whatever it is, you're looking for evidence to show you the best way to live. Now, there's lots of cultures that do not live that way. They tend to view things supernaturally, Right? And so they're looking for spiritual guidance in the way that they live. And in these cultures, which we would, by the way, call primitive because of our rational values and worldview, there is more commonly the working of miracles there. So, for instance, I have a good friend who went on a mission trip to Mozambique, and she came back with the wildest testimonies. And if I did not trust this person, I would have decided they were off the reservation. I was just like, I don't know about that. And I was hearing these testimonies, and inside I was like divided. I'm like, I really want this to be true, but something inside says horse bucky. You know, and, and that's, that's not good for me, right? That's a thing that I need to wrestle with, that I would doubt the Holy Spirit's manifestation halfway around the world because it's something that's outside of my worldview and scope. And, and quite frankly, I think that's why we don't see them so much here. And, it, and, it, and it's not the doubting, right? It's, it's the fact that it's not effective. The Holy Spirit wants to be fruitful and effective. And so He does things in a culture that are fruitful and effective. Demonstrating Jesus, explaining Jesus in different cultures looks differently. And so here it's incredibly rational. And God raises up these people with big hearts and big minds to lead ministries. But in other places, it's not that way. And so God raises people up with big hearts and big faith to lead ministries because they're conquering spiritual things. And it's evident right away. You know, these are the people that are showing up and praying for the, the, the shaman so that he can receive his sight back because God blinded the medicine man, right? These, these are the people doing these awesome workings of miracles uh, showing the supernatural manifestation of God. The other thing that I want to point out is that we tend to not see these gifts on an equal plane. And so these gifts that are supernatural, we tend to put in a different level than the gifts that we're comfortable with. And we have to throw those ideas out because they're all supernatural divine gifts. Every single one of them. They're all given by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have to work harder to make someone raised from the dead than He does to lead you to hear a good sermon. It's the same God doing the same work. We think it's harder, but it's not for Him, right? It's just not for Him. And we need to understand that and recognize that. Okay, the next is healing, which is the ability to serve as a human instrument for God to cure illness and restore health. And I would say there's two ends of this. 
Some people are anointed for healing and God leads them to start clinics and distribute medicine and take things around the world to make a difference in other people's lives through procedures that we would embrace in our scientific Western worldview. And sometimes God does this supernaturally and he uses both. So doctors without borders, healing ministry, right? Same thing as those people in Mozambique with the healing ministry, they just don't use first aid kits. They use anointing oil and prayer instead. And God is working through both of these camps. And to his, him be the glory for those things, right? And some of you have witnessed both of these things, right? Like some of you have prayed. You've been like, God, God, I need you to address this physical issue in my life. And you make a doctor's appointment and you show up and the doctor says, oh, well, your Boberg is swollen and we're going to remove it, right? That's not a real body part. It's a street in Wilsonville. Uh, but, but God does something in your life to, to heal you through a doctor. And then you go, praise God. Praise God for doctors and medical healing. And some of you have experienced something where you're like, this needs to get fixed. I don't have an answer. Nobody has an answer. Or even just go to God first and you or somebody else prays for you and it changes. You know, it's really wild when this happens. And thank God he's led me to experiences that break my scientific worldview down to trust him more than I trust the phenomenological worldview I look at, the, the phenomenon, right? That's what I want to measure, the things that I can weigh and touch and know. That's the way my mind works inherently. But one day, I, I, I had been the lead pastor here for five months, and I was working in my office, and there was nobody else here, and this doorbell, the doorbell rang, and I, there was this guy in this old Chevy S10, and, and he came in, and I said, you know, how, how can I help you? You know, it's pretty random for people you don't know to just show up at the church. Like, kind of like, what do you need, right? That's what you're anticipating. And, and, and he says, well, can we sit in your office for a few minutes? I just need somebody to talk to. So we sat down, and he said, uh, three days ago, my doctor told me that I had stayed for lung cancer, and I have between two weeks and a couple of months to live. And uh, when I found out, I uh, called in sick to work for the week, and I told my wife I needed to take a retreat, and I called my buddy who has a little cabin here, and I, I just came here to get ready to die. And uh, I'm here to talk to you, and I, I want you to pray for me that I might be healed. I was like, well, I have the gift of teaching, So you want to look at a Wikipedia article, right? Like, you know, let's get you some facts. Um, that's what the inner dialogue was. But I said, okay, let's pray. And, uh, you know, as, I, as I'm walking around the table to him, I'm, I'm just saying, Lord, I, I need you to guide me because I don't, way out of my depth here. And uh, I, I put my hands on him and, and I prayed for him. And I said, Jesus loves you. And I gave him a hug and, and then he left. And then like six months later, he came back and he said, hey, do you remember me? And I said, you're supposed to be dead. And he said, it's really weird. I went to the doctor and I don't have stage four lung cancer anymore. Amen. Right? Amen. Now, praise God for that, right? And that's not, that's not me. And I don't have this gift, okay? I've, early in my faith, I, I, I asked for this gift. I was supposed to be a doctor. And I was like, God, I, I like seeing people whole. Will you make me heal people? And what God said, I want you to make people spiritually whole, so I'm going to give you the gift of exhortation, right? Like, that's, that's my primary motivation. And so I, I, but I acted in faith and obedience to Jesus, what he called me to, and I prayed, and he was healed. Now, you know, tragically, I could probably point out more stories on the other side of the aisle, right, where I, I've prayed for someone, and nothing's changed physically. Things have changed spiritually. I remember recently, I was praying for a, a dear loved one who was... Uh, 
dying of cancer, and the Lord just said, I'm bringing him home. And I was like, thanks, Lord. You know, praise, praise you that there's a home, right? <laughs> praise, praise you that it's not, that's right, they're healed now, right? But, but it works out differently, and so we, we need to recognize that, but, but this, still, this still happens today, and we can't explain it, and that's, that's okay that we can't explain it. Uh, next, leading administration. It's the ability to see the direction and the needed goals of a church or a ministry. It's the ability to manage and implement plans and people uh, toward the success of the ministry. Okay? So leading and administration often goes together, but some of you are leaders and not administrators. Right? Some of you can see the vision, you can get the goals, you can maybe start and help engineer the process, but you are not a follow-through person, and you know you need an administrator or several to come alongside of you to get these things done because if you're going to manage it it's going to be a mess Uh, some of you are not leaders but you're administrators and you're looking for people to come alongside so that things go well with them and the ministry right and some of you are both and everybody's just so glad that you are a special ham sandwich and we love that about you Uh, next is the various tongues okay and this is the ability to receive or impart a message in a language unknown to build up the body uh, just this morning, I heard a, a testimony about a, a church, you know, decades ago in California where uh, somebody asked, this, this was welcome in this church, it's something that they embraced, um, somebody asked at the end of service to, to share a message and they, they went up and they spoke in a tongue and like nobody understood it except one person who stood up and said, how are you speaking the rare dialect of French that my family and I grew up speaking and that nobody knows about? How is that even possible? Right? And so this is the working of this gift, and it's for the building up of the body of Christ. And then uh, this is the big idea. I want to get back to this, right? Because it's not just the definitions, okay? These definitions are good for you to know, to understand, but the reality is, is that if they stay in your textbook, they're worthless, right? They're absolutely worthless. God gives good gifts to get in service. Not so that you look good, not just so that you understand, not so that we all feel better because the Bible was explained, but so that service can be done for Him and by Him through you. And so let's talk about the meat here, right? Which is actually, which is actually how you're going to develop your gifts. So the first is uh, get involved in other people's lives and needs in a way that's involved in serving, right? Some of you are like, finally, biblical permission to gossip. That's not what's happening here, right? That's not what's going on. It's it's not being a busybody in other people's lives and needs. It's serving them and loving them in the character of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. So get involved in other people's lives, other people's needs. Invest yourself in their lives. Care. Now, you can't just burst in, right? You can't be Miley Cyrus coming in on a wrecking ball. You, You need to enter gently, caringly, lovingly, with permission, not forcing your way in. Next, get involved in Christian community. Get involved in Christian community. This, this thing that we're talking about, these gifts, they work out in community. Uh, I'm in a couple of groups of Christian men right now. And one of my favorite things about going to Guy's Coffee on Wednesday, coming to the Bible study here on Thursday morning, is that I see the different gifts working out around the table. As we're talking about life, as we're talking about God's Word, I see people who can teach. I see people who can serve. I see people who can lead, and they bring those gifts into the conversation, and we're all better for it. We all learn, we're taught, we're exhorted. 
Jesus is lifted up, and, we're, and I'm like, wow, look what you're doing, Lord. You're changing individual lives. It doesn't feel like a big way to anybody who's in the group besides for me, I'm sure, but I'm watching these different gifts play out in the room, and I'm going, this is the church. This is Christian community. We're coming together. We're just being us with the gifts that we have, and it's working. And those of you who are maturing are seeing that happen in you and other people's lives, and we probably have a little bit of a duty to do in terms of pointing that out in other people so that they know that that gift is there. Uh, Next, get involved in ongoing training that builds character, skill, and knowledge. So often when we think about training, we think only about skill or knowledge. What is it and how do I do it? But the reality is that gifts need to come with Christian character. Uh, You've met people who've done things in Jesus' name in their own ways, and you were like, I'm not sure that I want to be involved in that, right? I'm not sure that I want to do that with them because it doesn't ooze Jesus into your life. It oozes, you know, whoever they are. And you're like, eh, it's not about them. It's about Jesus. And so if that's going to be true in you, you need your character to be developed as well. Uh, Training is something that changes you, not just gives you information. Next, um, get involved in regular risk-taking opportunities to use your gift. Okay? Now, this is a challenge for us because most of us are anxious about failing. Anybody like failing? Me either. Is it embarrassing? Yeah, sometimes it's kind of fun, right? But it it can be really embarrassing, right? And some people have a deep sense of shame and they were told that you have to do everything excellently. Well, if you're learning, you're failing because you don't know how to do it yet. And that's okay. This is a grace-based church, right? It's okay to mess up and make mistakes. If you're not taking risks with your gift, you're not pressing into what God has for you. And so you need to sign up for the hard thing. You need to push yourself out of your comfort zone into those things that God has made you to do. You need to take the risks. If you're staying comfortable, you're not growing. Then you're staying stagnant. God wants you to take risks with your gifts. He wants you to do things that only He can do. I love it when Christians say, God never calls me to something I can't handle. Because then I get to go, have you read the Bible? (laughs) Nobody in there could do what God called them to do. That's the whole point. It's his deal, not yours. Then get and stay humble. So, so important. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Humble people make the biggest difference in the world because they point to Jesus constantly. Because they recognize their gift is for others, not themselves. They don't need the glory. They don't need the credit. They just want to be there. And that's what God wants for you. So God gives good gifts to get in service. Think about all the people in your life who had good gifts and got in service in your life. If you're taking notes, just write a couple of first names down. Who are they? My friend John changed my life by just being willing to have coffee and talk with me because he has the gift of prophecy and he has the gift of exhortation and he's wise. He just made himself available, right? Uh, There's a guy at a, a church in Illinois and he had the gift of teaching And man, he transformed me at 23 by sharing what he knew about marriage and raising families. Just when I got married and I didn't even have kids yet, but he was willing to teach me. And there was a head usher at that church who who taught me to serve well in the church and to be able to disappear into the woodwork so that everybody else could see Jesus more. Who, Who are those people in your life? God put them there so that you could grow and learn. And that's how the gifts work. Because it's not just about one person, it's about all of us working together. And finally, God gives good gifts 
So you go get in service, right? So that you go get in service. Uh, there's this story about this little boy named Sam uh, way back in a book called First Samuel. Uh, he's young, and he goes to work with this priest and prophet named Eli. And he's in his room, and he hears a voice call out, Samuel, Samuel. So he rushes to the old man Eli because he thinks Eli has a need. And he's, Eli, Eli, you called my name. What do you need? And Eli's asleep. He's like, I didn't, what are you doing in here? I didn't call your name. Go back to bed. And it happens again. And Samuel says, Eli, you're calling my name. Are you having a bad dream? You gas? What's going on? Bad falafel? You know, what, what's happening here? And, and, and go back to bed. It's time to sleep. Kid goes back to bed. Uh, Samuel wakes up again. He hears Samuel, Samuel. And he, he goes to Eli. And Eli finally goes, oh, oh yeah. God's calling you, Samuel. God's calling you. I want you to go back to your bed. And next time you hear your name called, I want you to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. If nobody's ever told you this before, God is calling your name. He wants you to serve, but you have to be willing to do it. He's given you gifts. Go get in service. It is the highlight of my life, and I can't recommend enough that you would take what God has given you and use it for the opportunities that he has prepared for you. You're going to be amazed at how much joy you have. You're going to be amazed at how much you realize that Jesus is powerful and able. Your whole life is going to reorient around the purpose that God has for you, and you're not going to feel lost or confused or insignificant. You're going to recognize that every moment of your life is there by divine design and that God has work for you to do in that moment. And it's going to give you confidence for the hard times, and it's going to give you wind under your wings in the, the best times. It's just going to be so good. So get in there. Go serve. God has designed you to do it. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for the gifts that you've given this body. Father, we want to we see every gift that we need for the ministry that you've called us to in our midst. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to see how you have uniquely gifted us that you would get us in service, that you would help us to serve with humility, that we would seek after the training and the equipping, that we would be like David, and, and when we show up with bread and cheese, we would put them aside to grab the stones that you want us to build with, the things that you want us to make war with spiritually, Father. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the opportunities and take the risks and try things out and seek to be in service as much as possible. Lord, for those in this congregation who today are hearing this and there's something that's laying them up, there's a burden that's on them, there's, there's a physical barrier, Father, would you be with them in grace so that they don't feel discouraged or stuck, but instead that they would be able to move forward in due time? And Lord, for those of us who are gifted in a way that's designed to equip others further, would you help us to graciously and lovingly encourage, lead, uh, exhort everything you've called us to do so that this church can come to maturity in Christ. We praise you and thank you for these things in his name. Amen.